Chapter Twenty One of the Life and Adventures of James P. Beckwith by Thomas D. Bonner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gary Alvin. Chapter Twenty One Attacks of the Blackfeet on the Fort. Six White Men Killed. Abandonment of Fort Cass. Fort constructed at the mouth of the Rosebud. Removal of the village. Peace concluded with the Asnibonis. Hairbreadth escape. Death of Mr. Hunter of Kentucky. While we were indulging in a display of our captured horses while encamped outside the fort, the spotted antelope, one of my relatives, came to me and intimated that I had better visit the fort as they had lost six men by the Blackfeet. He was in the mourning paint for the victims, because the whites were his friends. I dismounted and passed through the encampment on my way to the gate. As usual, I found my father's lodge, in which my little wife resided, pitched near to the fort with the other lodges of my various relatives grouped in a row, their contiguity to my parents' lodge being graduated by their propinquity of kin. I found Pine Leaf seated by my wife, amusing herself with the Black Panther, whose civilized patronymic was a little Jim. While almost all the other women were dancing, I delayed a moment to inquire why these two women were not dancing with the others. Pine Leaf, with the solemn air and quivering lips, said, Your heart is crying, and I never dance when your heart cries. Neither do I, said the little woman. This was a greater concession than the heroine had ever made to me before. She had told me that she would marry me, and she had frequently informed my sister and my little wife of a similar intention. But this promise was always modified with a proviso, a comnusatious if, which could never be avoided. I will marry the medicine calf, she would say, if I marry any man. A great many moons had waxed and waned since she first spoke of the pine leaves turning yellow, but they had not yet lost their verdure and I had failed to discover a red-handed Indian. In conversation with Mr. Tullock, the commandant of the fort, I learned that they had been incessantly harassed by the Blackfeet ever since our last visit, who had infested them on all sides, rendering it extremely dangerous for any of the inmates to venture outside the gate. He further informed me that he had had six men massacred and 54 horses stolen. He had sent for me, he said, to come and select a new site where they would be liable to less molestation and be less in fear of their lives. I consulted with our chiefs and braves upon the selection of a more secure location for a new fort, and it was unanimously agreed upon that the mouth of the Rosebud, 30 miles lower down the river, offered the best situation as the country was fair and open all around and afforded the hostile Indians no good places of concealment. There was also a fine grazing country there, and plenty of buffalo, so that a village of the Crows could winter under the fort and afford them the protection of their presence. As soon as the Crows had completed their purchases, I started them up the Bighorn on their way back, with the promise that I would rejoin them in a few days. I then took a boat filled with goods and 20 men and dropped down the river until we came across a beautiful location for the new fort. 
We then returned and removed the effects of the present fort to the new site, and then immediately set about constructing a new post. We measured off 180 yards square, which we enclosed as quickly as possible with hewn timber 18 feet high and of sufficient thickness to resist a rifle ball. All the houses required for the accommodation of the inmates was commodiously constructed inside. Having finished the construction of the fort, I gave full instructions for the management of its affairs and then departed for the village, where my presence was required to incite the Indians to devote themselves to trapping and hunting buffalo, for which service I was paid by the American Fur Company. As I was about starting, a deputation of 50 Asnabones came to the post, leaving a letter from Mr. McKinsey at the lower fort addressed to me, requesting me to constrain the Asnabones into a treaty of peace with the Crows, in order that their incessant wars might be brought to a close and the interests of the company less interfered with. Had they arrived earlier, when the village was present at the old fort, I would have immediately called the council of the nation and had the business settled. I had seriously regretted their inopportune arrival, as it not only delayed the conclusion of the proposed peace, which was in every way desirable, but it would have saved me a very hazardous and anxious journey with the whole deputation of hostile Indians on our way to the village, where I had but one companion as a guarantee for my security. I was aware that the Indians remembered many a horse-borrowing adventure wherein I had taken an active part, and I had had too much experience of Indian character not to appreciate to the full the imminent danger I incurred in trusting myself with this band of savages in our intended journey across the wilderness. Mr. Keene, a native of Massachusetts, was my companion on this excursion. We started on foot in company with the party of Asnabones. Everything went well until our fourth day out. We were traveling leisurely along, the Indians in close conversation among themselves, of which I understood but little, not enough to make out the subject of their consultations. Although I mistrusted, I formed the matter of their discourse. One of the chiefs and his son were a few rods in advance in close conversation. The party at length halted and sat down on a grass to smoke. My companion, unsuspicious of evil, started on to kill a buffalo while the party rested. The chief and his son, who were in advance, returned and passed one on each side of me. I instantly heard a gun click, which I felt certain was the sound of cocking it. I turned my head and saw the chief's son with his piece leveled ready to shoot. I sprang to my feet and grasped the barrel of his gun just as he discharged it, the load passing into the air. I drew my battle axe and raised it to strike the treacherous rascal down, but a chief arrested my arm, saying as nearly as I could understand him, Hold! Don't strike him! He is a fool! A general melee then ensued among the party. High words were abandoned, and there seemed an equal division among them on the propriety of taking my life. By this time, I had withdrawn a few yards and stood facing them with my rifle ready cocked. On hearing the report, my companion ran back 
and seeing how matters stood exclaimed there is a fort just ahead let us run and get into it we can then fight the whole parcel of the treacherous devils we started for it but the indians were ahead of us they arrived there first and took possession of it and again had a long confab while we remained at their mercy outside the party opposed to killing me appeared greatly to predominate and we were not again molested though neither i nor mr keene slept one moment during the ensuing night in the morning we started on our way but we kept strict watch on their movements the following afternoon i discovered two indians on the hillside and although they were at a great distance i conceived them to be crows most likely spies from the village which proved to be the case no one had seen them but myself and i imparted my discovery to my friend i then told the head chief who well understood the crow language that we were near the crow village and that if any of them should visit our camp during the night he must be sure to call me before he suffered any of his people to speak to them or they would be all inevitably massacred he accordingly issued orders to that purport to all his men and erected his lodge in front of the party so as to be the first inquired of by the crows i and my partner then lay down and soon were sound asleep about midnight the chief shook me and informed me the crows were coming a host of warriors swarmed around our encampment and pointing their guns at the camp said what people are you buddha apsa roki we are sparrowhawks go back i replied i have other people with me who are come to make peace on hearing my voice which they readily recognized they retired the next morning we moved on and met the village who were approaching towards us the asnabonis on seeing such a host began to tremble our soldiers came driving along my brave dog soldiers ineffectually striving to keep them back for as they restrained them in one place they broke through in another until the warriors rode almost upon their toes of their guests a council was shortly called to listen to the arguments of the envoy extraordinaire from the asnabon nation several of the council applied to me for my sentiments on the subject but i deferred it to the collective wisdom of the nation when i had at first arrived like many another foolish man i mentioned to my wife the narrow escape of my life i had just made and she like many another foolish woman unable to contain herself related the information to pine leaf who was her bosom friend while the council was busy deliberating and some explanatory statements had been listened to regarding a matter which i suppose would have afforded no food for discussion the heroine entered the assembly warriors she said you are assembled here i believe to deliberate on peace or war with the asnabonis in coming to our village with the medicine calf they attempted to take his life and they came very near accomplishing their end when you conclude peace with a people who possess such base hearts i do not believe you will such an instantaneous change of countenance in an assembly was never before seen pine leaf the nation's favorite had spoken and as usual had spoken to the purpose though a woman her influence was everywhere strongly felt even in council 
She had a gift of speech which the bravest warriors might well envy. She was ever listened to with admiration, and in truth, though young, her judgment on all important matters was generally guided by some sense. Every eye in the assembly flashed fire at the intelligence of this contemplated treachery, and was directed first upon me and then upon the Asnabones. I immediately arose and said, Warriors, I conducted these people to our village because they said they were anxious to make peace with us. While on the road, one young Asnabone, whom they declared to be a fool, attempted to shoot me, but the others interfered to prevent him and were sorry for what he had done. This was no deliberate treachery. It was the folly of the young man, and the party showed their friendly intentions by their prompt interference. Do not allow this to make any difficulty in the way of peace with the Asnabones. My obligation to the fur company made it my duty to smooth the matter over, for at this moment the slightest whisper from me would have sufficed to hack the whole deputation to pieces in a moment. The council had a short consultation together, and the first councillor arose and thus addressed himself to the chief of the Assembonies. Assembonies, you behold that chief, pointing to me, our women and all our warriors carry him here, holding out his left hand and indicating the palm with the finger of his right hand. He is our chief. He is our great chief. He and his brother Longhair, who sits by him, are the two great chiefs of our nation. It is he who has made us great and powerful. It is he who has rendered us the terror of other nations. It is he who, by living with his white friends for many winters and knowing them all, has brought us guns and ammunition and taught our young men how to use them. It is he who has built us a fort where we can at all times go and buy everything we require. He loves the white man and has made all the whites to love us. We fight for the whites and kill their enemies because they are friends of our chief. If you had killed him, our nation would have mourned in blood. Listen. Asnabonis, if you had killed our chief, our whole nation would have made war on you, and we would have put out your last fire and have killed the last man of your nation. We would have taken possession of your hunting grounds. Our women would have become warriors against you. We would have hunted you as we hunt the wild beast. Now go. We will not harm you. Go. We will sleep tonight, but we will not make peace until we sleep and our hearts have considered upon it. Come to us again when your hearts are clean. They are foul now, and when you come, you must have your tongue straight. You are poor, you have no horses, we have plenty, and will give you horses. I am done. Go. They made no reply, but went straight away out of the lodge. A horse was furnished to each man. Those who were without guns received one, and several articles were presented to them by our women. Go, 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 was dinned in their ears from all present, and accordingly they went. They proceeded immediately to the trading post, where they gave a stirring narrative of what they had seen. They told them that they had seen many chiefs, but never one approaching to the great Crow chief, that all his people loved him that when he entered the village all the children ran up to him and shook him by the hand 
and that they had never seen a chief so much respected by his warriors and all his people they told how when i arrived i was presented with the best war horse they had ever seen that he had two panther skins on his saddle and a collar about his neck trimmed with bear's claws and a bridle surpassing all they had ever heard of they said that they would all have been killed on their approach to the village as the crows came to the camp during the night but that the great chief only spoke one word and the tribe was stilled and departed in a moment not a word did they mention about their attempt on my life they merely said that the crows would not make peace with them but had wished to treat again with them at some future time i suspect they must have told marvelous tales when they reached home for we were not troubled with them any more for a long time the crows have something of the gaelic temperament they must have excitement no matter whence derived and although the excitement of war suits them by far the best they were again clamorous for war they did not care against whom and i alone must lead them as my presence was a guarantee of success many of my friends opposed my going my father's medicine told him that i should meet with a great disaster my wife pleaded with me to remain even the heroine who never before showed reluctance to engage in war had forebodings of disaster and earnestly entreated me to stay but i had previously given my word to my warriors and had selected one hundred and fifty-four of my best followers to engage in an expedition i must confess that if i had obeyed my own feelings or rather if i had attended to my own misgivings i should certainly have stayed at home what motive prompted me to go and what gain could possibly accrue to mixing with savages in their intestinal broils with other savages however we started little white bear as brave a warrior as ever drew bowstring was my second in command and pine leaf was one of the number we started for the blackfoot territory traveling by way of the fort where we stayed three days they had already finished their pickets and the work was progressing finely there were fifty men employed upon it mr tulloch inquired where i was going i told him that my warriors wanted employment and to gratify them i was going to the blackfoot country in quest of scalps or horses he said for god's sake do not go jim i have a presentment that a great calamity awaits you that i shall never see you again for your own safety turn back to the village or rest here many of my friends who were working at the fort expressed the same sentiments all mentioned a foreboding that if i should venture into the blackfoot country with my little force i should infallibly be cut to pieces i thought such despondency only natural since they had been so badly harassed with the enemy that their fears magnified the danger still it was singular that both civilized and savage should give way to such foreboding the morning for our departure came my warriors were impatient to get on some had galloped on ahead and were prancing and curveting awaiting my departure i prepared my going with a heavy heart which ill fortified me against the representations of my friends i started mr tulloch and several of my friends accompanying me a few rods i bade them good-bye my friend tulloch's eyes filled with tears 
i was seized with a momentary hesitation what did all this portend what did all this portend i looked round for my moccasin bearer he had gone on this determined me i dashed off to my warriors resolved to listen to no such idle fears there was a young gentleman with me named hunter a kentuckian who having a great curiosity to witness an indian battle insisted on joining the expedition the first night that we were encamped being influenced by what i had heard all around me and fearing some disaster might happen to him among us i begged of him to go back to the fort and await our return there he refused to listen to me we then offered him as many of our best horses as he might wish to select after our return as an inducement for him to be hired to go back but all in vain i have started with you he said and i will go if i am to lose my life there is no help for it my warriors did not wish him to go as they feared a white man might bring us bad luck some expressed a fear that he might be killed with us and that i should then cry he was a free trapper in the country and much respected at the fort we continued our course until we arrived at little box elder creek here our spies discovered a blackfoot village which from a cursory examination we concluded consisted of but a few lodges at midnight we abstracted a large drove of about seven hundred horses and started directly upon our return we did not drive so fast as is customary on such occasions for we thought that the few black feet that the village contained could be easily disposed of should they venture to molest us about ten the next morning our spies being about six hundred yards in advance of us signaled to us to hasten as they had discovered some men we accelerated our speed thinking there might be a chance of adding a few scalps to our present booty having advanced a few hundred yards we discovered more blackfeet than we had bargained for and i became aware that a terrible battle must ensue the whole scene appeared alive with them outnumbering us ten to one there was not a moment to lose i directed all the boys to drive on the horses with the utmost speed possible and to await us two days at the fort if we should not arrive during that time to go home and report to the village that we were all slain i also requested mr hunter to select the best horse in the herd and go with the boys but he refused saying if there was any fighting in the wind he wanted to have his hand in it i then endeavored to persuade the heroine to go but was answered with the emphatic no the boys started with the horses but only succeeded in reaching the fort with about two hundred we had a very poor chance for defending ourselves against such an overwhelming force as was then before us in an open field fight there was no fort nor breastwork nor rocks nor brushes to protect us but we were exposed to the storm of bullets and arrows that they poured upon us without ceasing at last we discovered a large hole in front of a hill and we all leaped in it for shelter the enemy confident of an easy victory displayed great bravery for blackfeet they charged up to the very brink of our entrenchment discharging their volleys at us in lines 
which considering the advantage of their position produced comparatively little effect one of my warriors repeatedly ran out of the entrenchment alone and drove all before him exasperated at my cursed misadventure and absolutely sickening at the scene of mourning we should occasion at the village i grew desperate and lost all consideration of safety i sprang from the gully and rushed singly among a crowd of besiegers wherever i advanced the enemy drew back it was truly astonishing to see three or four hundred recede and many of them fairly run as often as two or three of us showed ourselves at the top of the bank when they might have burned us to death with the powder from the muzzles of their guns they seemed to be panic-struck or bewildered the warrior who had charged so often among them had his thigh broken he was then sat down and tantalized them he told them that who he was how many of their warrior scalps he had taken and at what times how many of their squaws and horses he had captured and then desired them to come and finish him and take his scalp for it had long been forfeit to them he reminded me of the words of the poet which i had read when at home remember the wood where in ambush we lay and the scalps which we bore from your nation away remember the arrows i shot for my bow and remember your chiefs by my hatchet laid low he was soon killed being pierced with numerous arrows and bullets an old brave in the pit exclaimed let us not stay in this hole to be shot like dogs let us go out and break through the ranks of the blackfeet they cannot kill us all some will get away i will go foremost i can break through their ranks alone some hundreds of the enemy had climbed the hill as they could not half of them get to the side of the pit and thence they showered the valley of stones upon us which annoyed us more than their bullets at length little white bear desired the old brave to lead and we would follow and break through their line i requested hunter to keep it near the front as possible when he made the charge as he would incur less asterisk from alkanoop a very beautiful little poem by mrs hunter wife of the very celebrated english physician so far as i can remember it imperfectly it is as follows the sun sets at night and the stars shone the day but glory remains though the light fades away begin ye tormentors your threats are in vain for the son of alkanumuk should never complain remember the wood where in ambush we lay and the scalps which we bore from your nation away why so slow do you wait till i shrink from my pain no the son of alkanamook shall never complain remember the arrows he shot from his bow remember the chiefs by his hatchet laid low remember his war whoop again and again the son of alnumook shall never complain i go to the land where my father is gone and his ghosts shall rejoice in the fame of his son now the flames rise bright i am freed from my pain and the son of alkanamuk hath ceased to complain c g leland i requested hunter to keep as near the front as possible 
when we made the charge as he would incur less danger of being cut down he took his place accordingly out we rushed from the pit the old warrior leading the way and hewing down right and left until the enemy finally opened their column and suffered us to pass through we left twenty-four of our party behind either killed in the pit or cut down in forcing their column i was near the rear and after passing a short distance from their line i came upon poor hunter who had his back broke by a ball and was in a dying condition i asked him if he was badly hurt he answered yes i am dying go on and save yourself you can do me no good when the little bear came up to him he sat down by his side and refused to leave him he said i will die with my white friend and go with him to the spirit land i looked and saw him fall over upon the body of poor hunter he was also killed pine leaf had cut her way through in advance of me and was dodging first one way and then the other as she awaited for me to cut up why do you wait to be killed she inquired if you wish to die let us return together i will die with you we continued our retreat for a few miles but the enemy no longer molested us he had not followed us more than two hundred yards we had left all our robes behind us in the pits that we might not be burdened with them in our charge the weather was extremely cold and we halted to build a large fire which we rested by all night warming one side at a time the old brave who led the assault lost a son in the strife he continued to sing all the way until he became hoarse and he could sing no more he prayed to the great spirit to give him an opportunity to avenge his loss which prayer was accorded several times over during the ensuing winter the heroine lost one joint off the little finger of her right hand amputated with a bullet the little finger of her other hand she had cut off at the death of her twin brother fortunately i had saved my capote and i gave it to her to wear as she was suffering severely with the cold we also killed several buffaloes on our way to the fort and made wrappers of the rawhide for many of the men still a number were badly frozen in their bodies and limbs this was my russian campaign i lost more men and suffered more from the cold on this expedition than in any other in which i had commanded either before or since the boys reached the fort with the horses before we did they had more than enough to mount us all on our way home there was great joy at the fort and return in such numbers as they had supposed it impossible for one of us to escape when i left the lamented hunter upon the field he said jim when you pass this way i've asked you to take my bones to the fort and have them buried write home to my friends and inform them of my fate good-bye now go and save yourself it shall be done i said and the following spring it was done as i had promised we rested at the fort four or five days to recruit ourselves while staying there a party of thirty warriors from long hairs village came to see how they were progressing with the fort there were some in my party who belonged to that village and they returned with them they also informed us where our village was as it had been removed during our absence having provided ourselves with robes in the place of those we had left behind we started onward 
with dejected feelings and in deep mourning on our arrival we found the village likewise in mourning they had lost four warriors by the blackfeet while resisting an attempt to steal our horses when informed of our disaster there was a general renewal of their lamentations more fingers were lopped and heads again sacrificed the medicine calf had been defeated and for some hidden cause the great spirit was again wroth with the crows end of chapter twenty one